As we often point out in this podcast, we're in the middle of an incredible age of transformation. One of the most significant shifts that we're seeing is a sharp rise in robots in the workplace. In 1982, industrial robots numbered around 35,000. That then grew to about 900,000 in 2003 and increased again to 3.6 million in 2023. New sensors and safer ways to interact with robots make it so that we're slowly starting to let them out of their safety cages in dark production halls and out into areas where they can support workers. We've also started to paint them in welcoming silver and white instead of signaling warning with orange and blinking lights. But how does a worker that gets a new robotic co-worker react? And are companies generally good at making sure that they get good returns on the massive investments that is an industrial robot? We wanted to get answers to these questions, so we contacted Sandra Mattsson at RISE, Research Institute of Sweden, with some questions. First of all, we wanted to know how good companies generally are at connecting their existing workers' needs with their new robots really bad they were like <laughs> we don't care and just bring me the technology and now again there's an increasing trend in okay but how can we really make people understand and include them in the work Sandra Matson is an automation engineer with a PhD in production systems and a bachelor in psychology she is an expert in the intersection of automation and psychology, and she really knows about the importance of understanding how humans perceive and interact with automation. You're listening to Designing the Robot Revolution with your hosts, David Griffith-Jones and me, Jacob Magnol. Enjoy! You really need to think about who is going to be close to the automation tool or the system in any kind of way. And sometimes that is easy. I mean, sometimes it's like the only people that are going to work with this tool are the operators. But now the question becomes more complex because more and more people are going to add to that. Uh, so there's also system complexity. So, I mean, before we had only, only had to understand how automation and the human uh, interact and we couldn't even do that because we were so into the technology and actually we didn't care about how to understand the human, how to even talk to the human, because it's all about talking. I've heard you say that before, actually. Uh, but now it's the complexity of including even more users and more systems. And as we've seen, more systems that collaborate with one another, it becomes could become safety risks because who will take over if one system crashes and so on. So just to kind of reflect here is what we're saying, I think, is that um, when it comes to automation, we have relationships between the automation and the humans that needs to be almost empathy on both sides, understanding on both sides how they come together. And now we have that other layer around systems thinking about how this well, actually, it's a, you could see it as the aut automated system or actually the combined system of the automation plus humans in this particular context fits into a, a wider context of other systems and processes. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds really difficult, Sandra. How, 
how how can you operate? How how can how can businesses who want to make the most of or the opportunities within automation and are conscious now? Let's say they they understand this, the relationship between the humans and the automation, and then that subsystems relationship with other systems. Okay, let's imagine um, I, I understand that, which I know is the first challenge actually getting <laughs> people to actually understand that. But given that we understand that, what can we do? Um, I mean, the first thing uh, that I always, or that's that not me, but all other people that are working with change is really, is that you want to go in small steps and you want to experiment. Um, so I think that that's really good. Sometimes you really forget that you can do experiments, not only, not using technology at all. So the temptation here from what I hear is that you, you want to go out and you want to make like a big press release and you want all the media attention and you want like just... So you, you want to really make an impact as well on your business when you do a transformation um, initiative. But from what you're saying, it is better to, to do the small stuff and experiment. And how do you sort of reconcile that as a as leadership within a big company? Mm. And actually, many times you have already started. So you already have some digital tools or you have some automation tools that so you don't have to be scared that you actually didn't start. I think uh, a good example um, is uh, Scania that I've been doing some research with, and they implemented six years ago an energy dashboard as a test. And actually the dashboard is really dumb. Uh, It's not intelligent in any way. It just shows green, yellow, red, how the energy... Uh, waste is it below red or not Um, and then the operators need to really figure out what machines are are doing not good things Uh, but since it has been in production for six years it has changed how the people think and work with energy Mm. so now when they have like a really big energy work or a really big like threshold that they need or a goal that they need to work with they already have some uh, changes in the mindset there i think that's a really nice point like i feel when we go into innovation projects so often you you just almost blind to everything that's gone before there's this bias towards looking towards everything shiny and new but actually really powerful to say to people as they embark on this initiative I love that, Sandra. That actually you've, you've achieved a lot already. Like you're not, you've actually got automation programs mm. to pull out what the successes are and what the impact of them have been, and see how you can build on what's been done. Yeah, and and you forget actually that people that you're working with, they are already digitally mature, and you can say that oh that guy, he he don't he doesn't know anything about technology, but he has a phone that he uses. All day long, not all day long, but you, you get Probably my point. In some cases, yeah. But and I think a really good exercise is just to sit down, like one young person, one older person, and like tell each other how you use your phone. 
And already there, you can increase your, your level of competency within digitalization. How, how does that actually help me as an old person with a, with a phone that I'm using? Uh, I think the, the main point is that we have, it helps in the collaboration, like group and dynamic uh, thing. Because sometimes you think that, oh, those new people, those younger people, they don't understand the machines like I do, hmm. but they can understand other things. And we actually discussed this in a course uh, the other week. Like, how do you get people to actually talk to one another and think about the other values that are created at your work? How do you, like, people that seem very different, we need them. Because everyone thinks differently, they need to talk with one another because it helps us to be more innovative and create um, find risks that we wouldn't have found otherwise and also for continuous improvements. But in order for them to want to talk to one another, they need to have some kind of common denominator. So just by bringing two people that uh, maybe... Like one really experienced older person, one younger person, and then they share experiences, like bridging the gap between, okay, this person knows more about digital tools. The other person knows more about how the complete system works. And now oh, you get my point. Mm, really like that. Sometimes, I mean, I come in and give workshops, but the main thing is just having people talking to one another, uh, enabling them to have sort of a more innovative culture. Maybe I'm being the person that is sort of stupid, asking the stupid question, showing them that it's okay to ask stupid questions. It's part of the game, sort of. And that's really helpful. What can you do then when you have people talking to each other? What, what can you do then? What, what can you do that you couldn't do pr previously? Uh, you couldn't understand what's the real question, what's the real challenge. Because one of the main things is understanding the root cause. And some, I mean, with lean philosophy, you always ask why, why is this happening? Okay, but this is because the machine is standing still. Why is the machine standing still? Because we have problems with quality. Why do we, uh, uh, but I think, I mean, the thing is when I go into and meet a company, uh, we walk through the production from uh, beginning to end and even though they have already thought about where they would like to uh, implement an automation change, sometimes we see things that are more important. So back to your question, I mean, what's the, what's the real thing? It's understanding the, the first things that we need to do. What's the root cause? Sometimes... People may think that the main thing to do here is invest, um, implement and finance new technology solutions. But sometimes it's not even close to what you need to do. So do you have uh, any, and you don't have to mention any company names, so that, that can be sensitive, of course, but like, do you have any examples of when you've really went in and you've been asked to do something very specific but it's turned out that you should do something 
completely different? Mm, I mean, sometimes uh, in, in the product uh, where where our goal was to help people uh, understand what's their automation candidate, we could also say, no, you're not ready for that. And that happened also several times. So they wanted to invest in a new shiny machine, but we could see that it's not good for you at this point. Because depending on a lot of different categories, like how's the company doing right now? What's the production variance? Uh, what, how is it going to look for in three years? How's the organization? How's the competency? Um, how's the turnover? Stuff like that. Um, we could say that mm, you need to do other things first. But there are, are of course, a lot of other different uh, examples where you could see that just talking about the production time or the lead time and, I mean, really going through, we're not going to take your job, we're just going to talk about how actually setting some time so that we can have sort of a, a standard of how long time it's going to take for the product to go through the production factory. Just having that conversation is more important than actually buying new machines. I'm, I'm curious, you, you mentioned before you went around in a, it probably happened a lot of times, you, you go around in a production facility and you, you talk to different people. Um, and you, you just a little bit on the, uh, on, on the side of that, uh, you, you mentioned that you, you want, you, you have to say to people that, no, we're not going to take your job. How does people that actually start to, and I'm, I'm especially curious about when you need to collaborate with a, with a robot, what happens to people in their attitudes from in that process from understanding that we're going to add automation and probably in the form of a robot or something all the way to, to the finished implementation. Mm, I have some examples. I mean, uh, at, um, I don't know if it was metal sheets that they had one person that was expert and had been working there for a long time that decided exactly how the sheets are going to be cut, depending on what products they had coming in at that point. And that person really didn't want that new fancy, like super expensive, uh, intelligent machine, because then that person wouldn't be able to do that expert job. But the company implemented the machine anyway, and now uh, the expert's role was actually to, to, in a bigger sense or in a faster sense, uh, scan if the, the machine had done it right. I mean, if the calculation was right. So, I mean, in the beginning, uh, there was resistance. <laughs> But but then uh, that person really, I mean, was expert at working with that higher level of intelligence in the machine instead of having to do all the manual work themselves. And I think also what I 
what I usually say is also with change, when you have this idea of change coming in, it's difficult to understand how that will actually affect you. So you need to try it. At one point, we were testing to see if maintenance personnel could use screens, uh, checking the maintenance tasks instead of doing it manually. And they were asked to have the iPad form or the phone form. And they were like, no, we want the smaller form. Are you stupid? We don't want the bigger form because we can't carry that around with us. And one or two weeks after, they were like, can you please give me the bigger thing? Because I can't see what's going on here. Hi, Jacob here. I just want to remind you that if you want to help us out, subscribe to us in your favorite podcast platform app. But if you really want to make a difference, tell a friend about this episode and how good it is. You mentioned at the start that your background was more automotive and kind of very mature industrial automation there and now you're now working with more small medium-sized companies i'm curious at 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 those at the big companies you tend to have someone who is like head of digital transformation or some kind of person whose role it is to you know drive this forward i imagine at a lot of even medium-sized companies that's not so common to have someone whose responsibility is that so where are these initiatives coming out of who tend to be the people who are driving for this to happen in your experience? I mean, in the smaller companies, it's the leaders or maybe production technicians, but it comes from the leaders. Um, I mean, and the smaller size could be sort of seven people. <laughs> so, And how do these people tend to start their journey? Um, is there a pattern that you see? I... Mm. I think uh, something that we actually haven't discussed is the definition of automation. Uh, and I think in, in the sense of digitalization, what we've talked about, uh, the complexity of understanding the implementation and the challenges that we have ahead, uh, the definitions uh, are really interesting. So the definition that that I use is that a task that previously was performed by a human is now performed by a machine or a computer. That's automation. And sometimes we think directly of the physical tasks, but it includes also cognitive intelligence, intelligence decision-making, which implies that we, what we've already been discussing all this time is that digitalization is a subset of automation. And I mean, what we've discovered I'm, through what working with digitalization is, of course, that we can't talk about digitalization without talking about automation. And vice versa, we need to have the, the computer systems in order for the automation to work. Uh, so we really need to be as experts in both. And the definition of digitalization <laughs> is to have several digitized systems that work together in a smart way. And mm? So what's the, what's the definition of digitization then? 
it's taking something real and putting it into a computer. Right. So no, before you've actually put together differently digitized things, you don't have digitalization. Exactly. Cool. Uh, that's actually really good for me. Uh, th this is such a, I, I love this discussion because I always sort of spin out uh, from it. Uh, I, I think also like robots are so fascinating because those are the sort of connection between the physical world and the digital things that we do. Um, so it's, it's really interesting how all of these things sort of connect together and create opportunities for automation mm, and yeah and i think also in the definition that that we put i mean that i use for digitalization is also that it's supposed to be smart and we we discussed this uh, briefly i mean what is smart automation what is smart digitalization we need to connect several systems that are already working but do that in a smart way so that it creates value for the user. So there's like a small passus there, like so that it creates value. Um, I mean, we can connect how many systems we like, but if it makes work more complicated, then people are not going to use it. And what is smart? It depends on the context. It depends on the company. Sometimes you already have a digitalized ordering systems system. Sometimes you don't have that. Sometimes you have a robot already. Then it makes sense to suggest having another robot. But if they don't have a robot, they've never even seen a robot or thought about the robot it wouldn't make sense to introduce that type of automation because it would only cost in terms of... Uh, it, uh, it could, of course, create value in terms of cost, but it you need to have so many other types of support systems. I mean, at all times, it's a matter of profits and how you actually have time for something. And the difficult thing that we've talked about here is that uh, how do you start that journey? In, in the beginning, it was you need this to survive. In the next phase, probably it's going to be you need this in, able, in order to be able to uh, account for the energy that you're using. So there's going to be some kind of uh, external thing pushing you forward because otherwise you don't have time we've talked about uh, some reasons for wanting to automate if you have a very like uh, a flow of products that is really the same all the time that's obviously a good candidate if you have a lot of sick leave because of ergonomic issues then you can have a robot help you there and, and make so that you don't uh run people so hard that they get hurt uh are there other like big reasons for looking at automation i mean what we've seen is using machine learning for uh optical tasks i think that's uh, another good start um and there 
And I think a good point is to keep track, which many people are already doing, keep keep track of what are the, what have already what has already been implemented. Oh, so other other companies. Yeah. So where do you go to to find that out? Uh, I think the networks uh, where there are dif- many different types. Uh, according to your branch, according to like if you're a supplier or not, according to where where you live. There's a, a south, a north, and east, uh, whatever. Uh, I think that's a really good starting point. And for companies to work together with researchers, it's not really common. I mean, many are are new at that, but you can really find uh, new new ways of finding supports. I mean, point towards uh, funds that you can apply for easily, which could be a starting point for you. And also just like giving hints of other companies that have done similar things. And that's something you do quite a lot at Rise, right? You, you collaborate with these yes. companies at, of different sizes. Exactly. So, Sandra, um, can you tell us just a little bit more about RISE and what RISE do? And also, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, My uh, unit, I mean, RISE is famous for doing a lot of different things. It's a really big uh, institute. But my unit is working with production and work environment. Uh, and just doing what we talked about, the, the coaching bits. There's another program called Production Leap that has been running since, I think, 2007, where several companies have gone through 18-month journeys together with a coach meeting them every other week. I think that's fantastic. Whenever they go through that, they learn so much about how them themselves can actually drive a change. Mm, And I'm not sure everyone is aware that we actually do that. We uh, find ways of putting together those dream teams where people can or companies can ask questions uh, because, uh, as we said, it's a really complicated issue and no one actually knows how we're going to solve these challenges because it's not only automation, it's not only digitalization, it's not only organization or climate change, it's all of them at the same time. And there could also be like leadership issues, policies, patents, stuff like that. So several people are needed. Hmm. This brings us into one of the things that you've shown us is the digitalization staircase that you've been working on. Um, and I've found that to be a fantastic tool to to talk to other people about where we are. Can you tell us about that? Um, it's a staircase with six steps. And um, obviously, I didn't create it from from scratch, but it's a further development of Architects Digital Maturity Index 4.0 model. <laughs> uh, but 
uh, it's six steps that you can uh, turn into three steps in the beginning. So the first two steps are before any type of digitalization occurs. First, you just work with with some type of digital input, like you have a measuring tool. Next step is that you connect some type of digital uh, input that you have, which is connected in, in small sort of technology islands. And they create maybe value in its own, but it's not talking to anything. So previously we discussed what's the definition of digitalization. It's not several systems that are connected. It's maybe just one system and it shows maybe data logs of two machines or something like that. And that's before digitalization even happened. And many, many companies are there. The middle steps are for showing value of several systems that are connected first in presenting it and then the next step in in showing historical data sort of managing how to uh, understand your systems so that you could see what's going to happen in the future just by looking at historic data the top two steps are with the smart technology that includes ai machine learning. Uh, So it's predicting what's going to happen. And then finally, that the technology is doing the decision making for themselves. And how can we use this? Like, why would you want to create a model for for showing this graphically? Um, What's the what's the use case? First, it's uh, visualizing the potential and visualizing something that previously was all fuzzy. So when you talk to people in the beginning or companies, what is digitalization? What can it do for me? This is the tool to use. And what I usually do is present the steps and then I give them sort of a matrix where they fill in technology that they already have in each of the steps. And first I thought, people are not going to be able to do this. It's so difficult. They just wrote everything down. (laughs) They were really, I mean, it was an easy task, actually. So, and it's part of the pedagogy, as we also discussed, you have to make it your own. So then you could really, okay, so we have this PLC system, it's more like, the first step, oh, we have this uh, type of system uh, or we have this analysis statistical tool that we use. It's step four. And then we don't have anything they could say. Like, look, look there's a lot going on um, and you're, you're seeing a lot of the activity here. As we look ahead, kind of five, 10 years out, what, what do you feel when you're being optimistic and excited? What do you see as the potential futures we could be seeing in the relatively near term? I'm thinking that many more companies are having digital uh, and automotive tools that help them uh, ensure that people want to go there and work with them. 
and also helps them being more innovative, creative, productive. To be a bit more pessimistic or, or gloomy or, or kind of fearful, um, what, what, what things keep you proverbially awake at night that make you worry about automation? I think like uh, producing so many new things and producing uh, so many variances because yeah. that's what really driven driven the production complexity and it's also been driving the new i mean all the new components that you need to produce all the different colors all the uh, it's just exponential yeah and so what would be the what are the consequences of that that make it a negative thing uh it takes more time more quality issues more i mean if we could <laughs> i mean it's it's also i mean uh, if we just like follow that through it would be like the first ford the black car that is available to all families and it exists in only one color and it's one shape and really successful. So if everyone could just decide to, to just use one pair of like jeans, that would be good. <laughs> Do you think through automation that we can get to a state where maybe we don't we can't eliminate all of these problems that come from all of these choices but we, where we can actually repurpose or remake things through automation and can, is that a key to that can that be one solution before the intelligence uh, grows too much uh, it is the key because like we discussed in order to automate and the reason for why for instance, final assembly isn't automated is because we have so many product variants. So if we just cut that, so hmm. automation would be helping us to do other things than thinking about, should I use this or that? Or what of these 10 things or the next order is going to be, then people could do other created like good things yeah really interesting and such a good point and it's actually what I, i'm saying is it's it's going in in the opposite direction isn't it it's all just more about more and more product variants and more complexity and the automation is actually enabling oh we can have a million variants of something mm. and that is a big risk with with it. i totally say that really interesting exactly and the biggest, I mean, the biggest challenge is coming all together to solve this, I mean, huge, complex issue that now not only <laughs> involves technological issues, but societal issues. So people that we talked um, somewhat before, like engineers has to understand people working with humanities. They have to do it now. I really like that sentiment uh, of everything needing to come together. I, for some reason, that's really hopeful for me because it means sort of if we can solve it, it's it's a good testament that we can really um, 
work together, which is obviously really good. Thank you, Sandra. This has been really cool to listen to you talk about this. Um, really uh, a real pleasure thank you so much for joining us it's been really really interesting uh we've covered a lot of topics in automation digitalization and uh, really appreciate your time thank you so much for having me it's been really interesting if you want to get in touch with us check us out on linkedin